Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With a special AEW edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back once again, and we are taping a very special, very rare Saturday morning edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast coming out of AEW Friday Night Dynamite. It looks like we are going to have to be flipping our schedule around for the next few weeks as AEW Dynamite is preempted and moved uh, due to basketball, the NBA playoffs on TNT. This is something that will be solved, you know, coming up in the future when AEW formally moves to TBS. And honestly, I don't know why they haven't done that right now. Uh, But as of now, uh, yes, we are stuck with taping our AEW recaps at some weird days and times. And that is what we are here to do today. This was the show coming right out of uh, Double or Nothing in a strange twist, of course. It felt like Double or Nothing happened a few weeks ago because it was nearly an entire week from the conclusion of that pay-per-view to the start of AEW Dynamite on Friday night. And that led to a really strange episode. You know, you could call it bad if you want to. And I think there's going to be plenty of criticisms in this show. I I tweeted as a little bit of a tease leading into this episode that my takes might be a little spicy today on AEW. I enjoy the product, Uh, you know, nine shows out of 10. I I, I come away with good to very good to great episodes of Dynamite. And most of their pay-per-views hit extraordinarily well. I think Double or Nothing was a fantastic show. No question about it. But there was something extremely strange about Dynamite this week and it was a combination of the booking the production the directing the environment and atmosphere at daily's place just something seemed really off throughout that entire show and it was really difficult to put my finger on i would love to hear a talent or chris jericho or someone kind of come out and be able to express what it was that felt off about dynamite on friday but to me as a viewer i just thought it was one of the strangest episodes that they've put together, and they did a lot of things throughout the entire show that are not typical AEW. Things that are, candidly, tropes in WWE that AEW tends to successfully avoid. And I didn't necessarily see them avoid those things on Friday. So we're going to get into all of that today. We're going to break down everything that happened on AEW Dynamite. But before we get into that, folks, you know the job. You know the deal on this podcast. It is all about the five. And what does that mean? That means heading on over to Apple Podcasts, dropping some five-star ratings with reviews for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast so people can learn how much you love the show and so we can get our brand boosted on Apple Podcasts. The listenership is indeed going up, which is great. One of the reasons uh, that happens is from word of mouth. And another reason is from people checking the Apple Podcast directory, seeing positive ratings and reviews, and going ahead and listening to the show. Some of our most recent reviews have come from first-time listeners, and that is a great thing. That's how you know this show is growing. So I appreciate all of you who have done that before. If you have not, and most of you have not, because I know the listener numbers and I know the review numbers. So most of you, please just take a couple minutes out of your day, head on over to Apple Podcasts. You can use the app. You can do it on your computer, on your desktop with iTunes, drop a five-star rating, 
and leave a review for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I personally would appreciate it. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet live during the four big American wrestling shows all week, uh, but we also tweet about news, uh, give opinions on things. We try to share some fun videos and GIFs and things like that. And of course, it's a great place for you to participate and contribute to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by sending tweets and DMs for questions that we will read on the show and participating in our pre- and post-show polls. And followers of us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, also get to participate in live shows on Twitter Spaces, which is a new audio platform created by Twitter. All you need is a Twitter account, and all you need to do is follow us. And whether you have the official Twitter app on iOS or Android, or you're on desktop or mobile web, you can listen to our live shows that we normally do as kickoff shows before pay-per-views, and occasionally special ones throughout the course of the week as well. Okay, with all of that out of the way, it is time to talk AEW Dynamite. And, you know, I kind of prefaced it at the start of the show. I'm going to say it one more time. You know, there's a, I'm highly critical of professional wrestling on this podcast. You guys know that. Uh, And it comes in different forms, right? Sometimes it's legitimate anger at WWE, for example, botching a storyline or not having any way to use an extremely talented person. And sometimes it's just frustration where I watched a two hour show and it just was either not entertaining or it didn't do things well. And that's generally what the issue has been for us with Raw. And I feel like on Friday night, and really we'll talk about SmackDown coming up on our Tuesday WWE show, but both shows on Friday, SmackDown from WWE and Dynamite from AEW left a lot to be desired. But no matter how disappointed I was with SmackDown, after finishing AEW Dynamite at midnight Eastern, basically Saturday morning, I was so much more disappointed with Dynamite. So let's break down what happened on the show. And it really started with a big piece of news. So there is a positive development here for AEW, but it came within one of the strangest segments that I can remember being on AEW television. So in the second segment of the show, Mark Henry hit the ring for his introduction with Tony Schiavone. Apparently he's a co-host now. They've changed his title four times. He's going to be a co-host for AEW Rampage, which will be in that Friday 10 p.m. slot going forward. Uh, Tony asked if Mark would wrestle again. And Henry said he wouldn't say yes for sure, but he had a lot more left in the tank. So a good throwback um, to his salmon jacket you know, situation back in WWE. Then right as that segment's kind of like tailing off, and by the way, Mark Henry came out to no entrance music. Then Vicky Guerrero came out screaming, excuse me. And after getting some heat, and that always gets heat, Vicky always gets heat, she's good at that. She introduces Andrade El Idolo, which got literally zero response initially from fans because they were booing her and probably didn't hear the words that she said when she introduced Andrade. Then he finally makes his entrance and there's a smattering of like, oh my God, look who it is, which is great because Andrade is awesome, but it didn't get the reaction that you would have expected. He had no entrance music and he comes to the ring slowly, cuts a short promo about going from being the face of Latinos to the face of AEW. And then when he said that there were some cheers, but this whole thing, like what I explained to you just now was sounded boring, right? Because I'm just talking to you. That's as boring as this was actually on screen. It was strange. It was terribly booked. I mean, 
what the hell was Tony Khan doing with this decision-making? This is how you're going to introduce Andrade to AEW. He, AEW just debuted the hottest free agent in wrestling other than Daniel Bryan. During an interview segment with Vicky Guerrero doing her 15-year-old excuse me shtick while interrupting Mark Henry, who despite being a name and exciting, hasn't been in-ring relevant in over a decade. They had no music for Andrade. And they did this one segment after. They could have had him do a run-in. They had Pento wrestling in, in that segment prior in that tag team match. And they needed that team to lose the match. So you could have easily had Andrade interfere and start a feud with Pentagon or Pac or anything like that. Why not have him get involved there? You're about to start touring. Why not wait three more weeks and debut Andrade in front of the first live crowd that you're going to have at a travel destination? This was just such a massive failure that I was actively angry at how poorly it was done. So clearly, right, I hated the introduction. But let's push that aside because that gets in the way of the big news, which is that AEW has signed Andrade. And that's massive, right? This is one of the top wrestlers in the world right now. And it's someone who we could not believe on this show that WWE couldn't figure out how to use Andrade and make him into a main eventer. I don't have much doubt at all that that will happen in AEW. And the potential for incredible top-tier matches, it's almost endless there. Penta, Phoenix, Kenny Omega, Pac, John Moxley, Jungle Boy. I mean, it, I could go on and on at what this potentially means in terms of work rate, wrestling, quality in-ring action for AEW. And, you know, I think they'll figure out a good way to put him over as a character. And clearly they're debuting him as a heel, get him some heat and put him in a, a spot where he can be successful. It's really the best signing that AEW could have made right now. And fans should be extremely excited for it. But holy shit, this was truly a terrible piece of booking. And I gotta say, if you have the ability to sign a Zelina Vega or align him with a different type of manager who might be able to help him work a little bit better, and you choose Vicky Guerrero, who I don't dislike Vicky. She seems like a great person. She can definitely get heat, and she's a, a longtime successful manager in professional wrestling. But that excuse me shtick and Vicky being relevant in 2021 is just, it's not something that I buy into. And I don't see how this pairing is going to be the one that gets him over to the degree that he could get over. So I don't know what the plans are going forward. I don't know if maybe he just signed like a day before and Tony was like, hey, you know what? Let's get Andrade on the show as soon as possible. That way it doesn't leak. And if some of that, you know, is the case, then maybe you can excuse a little bit of this. But there are so many other ways to better debut a talent, the caliber of Andrade, than to have Vicky Guerrero, after saying excuse me, screaming on the mic and getting heat, to weakly say his name into a microphone, bring him to the ring with no music, and have him cut a extremely bland promo. So the presentation was terrible, but is it exciting to have Andrade in AEW? There is no question that it's exciting to have Andrade in AEW. Uh, we'll move over to the two victory celebrations because we got two of them on one show. Uh, the Inner Circle took a victory lap. They came out in matching biker jackets with bone middle finger like logos. They gave the fans free t-shirts from Stadium Stampede 
And Chris Jericho put over Sammy Guevara as the savior of the match. Jake Hager then challenged Wardlow to an MMA cage match in two weeks for some reason. I presume to promote whatever MMA fighting brand that they have on TNT. They all said the war with Pinnacle is not over, and Jericho said he will end MJF the same way that MJF tried to end Jericho. This wasn't anything special, but it was the best part of what was a really strange first hour of Dynamite. It seems like they're going to run with this rivalry all summer. They literally said that in the promo. And that's probably a good idea with AEW touring and fans wanting to see all the different machinations that you can put together on when you consider two five-on-five factions. That's basically a fresh match every week for a long time. But they really need to be careful about having this feud go on too long, especially if they don't have any intermediate breaks where, you know, you, you can feud for a few months, but maybe Santana and Ortiz get a three-week feud with the Young Bucks for the AEW titles in between. And that takes them out of it. Maybe Sammy Guevara gets into a singles feud with someone else. Jungle Boy, for example. I, you know, so as long as they break it up, it's going to be okay. But if they just keep doing this and it's pinnacle inner circle every single week for two months now or, or three months, it could potentially get boring and repetitive. Uh, Britt Baker had a championship celebration later. Baker pretended that she gave the fans burger coupons as a gift like Jericho did. I thought that was pretty smart to kind of play back to that earlier in the show. She was in the ring with low card heels, uh, putting herself over for taking AEW into a new stratosphere. She went to share a bite of Big Mac with Tony Schiavone and Rebel until Nyla Rose knocked them out of her hands. And that was literally the end of the segment. Like, Nyla Rose hit the burgers and then she threw some burgers into the crowd. Baker didn't care. Like she didn't yell at her. She didn't try to stop her. She didn't do anything. Uh, And then the segment just kind of ended. Again, I'm talking about a very strange edition of Dynamite. And this is another example of that. Her promo was good enough, Britt Baker, but it finished with a big thud. So at the end, are you going to ever remember that segment? No, you're not. The show opened with the Young Bucks facing Penta L0M and Pac in a non-title match. Frankie Kazarian ran in to fight with the Good Brothers. Another, this was another uh, Rick Knox special with you know no rules for most of the match. Pack literally dumped Nick Jackson on the back of his head and neck with a German suplex, but Nick was okay, thank God. Uh, Penta hit a couple backstabbers and an awesome Canadian destroyer jumping off Pack's back. Fans cheered for this choreographed ring apron spot that was kind of lame. Nick ripped off Penta's mask, but he had another one underneath, so he surprised Nick, hit him with a low blow. And then Fear Factor, followed by a black arrow from Pack, which should have won the match, but the fall was broken up by Matt. Brandon Cutler then took out Pack's knee with a camera, and he got folded over for the Young Bucks to win. Uh, the Bucks attacked after the bell, and Eddie Kingston made the save. He later told Pack and Penta that the enemy of his enemies are his friends. So, you know, what can I really say about the match? There were some really good moves from talented wrestlers, but the segment just was bad and it was weak to open the show. I know that AEW likes to start with a really quality match at Dynamite. And I love that they do that when they put Hangman Page uh, right up front at the beginning of the show, or even on the rare occasions, they they throw a uh, awesome tag team match like Jurassic Express or something like that right at the beginning. It's really exciting. But this match, because the Bucks were doing like their stupid theatrics, I think at one point, Matt ran around the ring, like imitating Braun Strowman. Um, it just never kicked into a second gear, let alone a third or fourth gear, which you guys know I'm not the biggest fan of the Young Bucks, but I appreciate and respect their work. And when they're in a top tier tag team match, I love it, right? Um, but this was 
just nothing. Like it was just a really weird start to the show. And it was kind of a microcosm for what we got over the next two hours. We had another tag team match, Cody Rhodes and Lee Johnson against QT Marshall and Anthony Ogogo. This was pure WWE booking following a pay-per-view match that should have ended a feud with a tag team match involving the same people in the feud. Honestly, I was so tired. I went to happy hour earlier in the day that I legitimately thought about turning off Dynamite during this match and then picking it up Saturday morning and finishing it, but I was able to gut it out. It was just difficult to watch this match. Cameras missed a ton of action apparently outside. A go-go hit a frog splash that broke up a figure four, but they didn't even do it in the style of WWE where it comes out of nowhere. It just like they missed it. Like they the camera was supposed to show it, but didn't. So that was crazy. Uh, then Marshall hit a diamond cutter on, I think it was Cody for a near fall. That should have been a three because Johnson splash off the top rope to break the count was a full second late. It came in at four, basically. Aaron Solo distracted, allowing Ogogo to knock Cody out as he was going for the crossroads. And that, you know, the heels got the win. Uh, This was just, again, another terrible match and segment. I promise you that I was trying to look for positives throughout this entire Dynamite. And I gave you a couple, I guess, a little bit earlier with some of the Inner Circle stuff and Britt Baker stuff. But this was just awful. This was a really bad tag team match. Uh, Don Callis, here's something good. Don Callis and Kenny Omega were watching film of his double or nothing match backstage and said they would blow the roof off the conspiracy to screw Omega out of the AEW title at the pay-per-view in a couple of weeks. Omega then was kind of comedic and funny, dismissing Jungle Boy as a legitimate contender, and they sang his music uh, together. So I I enjoyed that. I thought it was kind of a nice way to build, to start building towards their match, which I believe is going to be June 26th. Uh, We got a tag team match, Jungle Boy and Christian Cage against Private Party. I thought this should have opened the show, by the way, uh, in terms of just match quality and excitement and, you know, getting good names to to begin and kick things off. Uh, The HFO also, you know what, I, I said, hey, this is, I'm giving praise here. Uh, the HFO, they've really given private parties some new life. They're much fresher. There was nothing necessarily wrong with private party before, but Mark Quinn's look and their baby face shtick, it only would have taken them so far without a refresh. And I think they're starting to get it here. Do they dress like T-Mobile employees now? Yes, they do. Uh, I can't imagine it's comfortable to wrestle in a button down shirt. So kudos to them for being able to do it. But I do think it's a huge step in the right direction for them. And once they eventually split from HFO and go back face, as long as they don't go back to that old gimmick, I think they're going to be better off for this in the long run. Private Party mocked the Edge and Christian five-second pose during the match. And Jungle Boy eventually beat Mark Quinn with a snare trap after a really dangerous spot that looked like he got dropped on his head. As I said, this was the best match to this point in the show. I would have had it open. But again, it was also just a bit strange as this entire show was. And again, it was just really tough to put my finger on exactly what felt so different about this Dynamite because last week's show was also on Friday at 10 p.m. So it's not like it was that. So what exactly was the issue? I I, I can't figure it out exactly. It almost felt like someone else different was calling the shots on Friday night. Uh, Matt Hardy, after the match, attacked Christian with a twist of fate on the entrance ramp. So that's obviously going to be a feud between two 47-year-old former WWE superstars. Taz then cut a taped backstage promo about Brian Cage and Powerhouse Hobbs teaming up to fight Hangman Page in a Dark Order partner of his choosing next week on Dynamite. Ricky Starks got angry during the promo and walked away, which shows continued dissension in the ranks of Team Taz. And you start to wonder 
what exactly is going to happen? Because first it was Brian Cage showing that dissension. Now it's Ricky Starks. I don't know if that's a change of plans or if it's all going to just come together and this entire team is going to split up and fracture. But it is interesting, and I'm glad that they're continuing that storyline. Sting and Darby Allen hit the ring for a non-interview. It's it's the one where Tony Schiavone comes out, asks a question, and then you never see him again. Uh, Sting said Double or Nothing stood up to anything he's ever done in the wrestling business, which, I mean, come on. Block at zero! That's just for the line. That's all. Um... The fans then chanted for him appropriately because Sting does indeed still have it, despite being a little bit surprised he could go the level he did in that match. Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page showed up on the big screen and mocked both of them, saying that Sting dragged Darby to victory in the match. They challenged Darby to find any partner other than Sting and to fight them again in a tag team match. And it looked like Darby was like, he grabbed the mic, he was just about to speak, and then AEW cut him off and just showed a match graphic, and then I think they went to commercial after that. So... I thought that was strange as well. I liked that Darby got called out for relying so heavily on Sting during that successful run because it's kind of what happened. Like Darby, did he win some matches on his own? Yes, he didn't necessarily look that strong winning a lot of them. And Sting almost always was having his back stopping interference um, or chasing away Team Taz when they were feuding. So it just always kind of seemed like Darby needed Sting to kind of get over and have his success. And my thought is, this may start leading to the breakup of Darby and Sting, where perhaps you have this match, Darby, who knows who he picks, let's say it's Jungle Boy, right? And he fights those two guys, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, and there's some shenanigans, and they try to use a weapon or whatever. Sting runs down and has his back, Darby gets pissed because he wasn't supposed to, and all of a sudden now you kind of are slowly building a little bit of dissension between them an eventual breakup and maybe even a singles match between Darby Allen and Sting where Darby gets to go over Sting, which you would need to do, obviously. So I like that if they're going in that direction. I don't know that they are, but if this was the start to it, then that is a pretty cool piece of booking and I'm excited for it. It did feel strange on this show, though, that AEW continued so many feuds after the pay-per-view. They usually use their big events because there's only really four, as of right now, tentpole pay-per-view events to end feuds and move all the characters on. And they usually use the dynamite after the pay-per-view to jumpstart a bunch of new feuds. Instead, you had this feud, Inner Circle and Pinnacle, Cody and the Factory, Team Taz and Hangman, and even to a degree, the Young Bucks and Eddie Kingston, all continuing after the pay-per-view. That is strangely WWE-esque. I mean, that is you know, WWE coming out of a B-level pay-per-view and the night after on Raw, immediately booking a WWE Championship rematch for the next pay-per-view in three weeks. Like that's kind of what this felt like. So again, I said this earlier in the show, it is very rare that AEW does stuff like this, but I just named four or five different feuds where they did it in a single night. And as a viewer who appreciates the fact that AEW usually successfully moves on from feuds when they're done. I was very surprised to see that be a trend throughout the entire episode. We had Red Velvet versus The Bunny in a singles match. Velvet nearly broke her fucking neck, landing directly on her head during a suicide dive. It looked like she may have rolled through it at the end, but holy shit, was that scary. I legitimately yelled out loud at like 11.45 p.m. uh, watching that on my TV. 
Bunny got brass knuckles, but Velvet dodged a shot and hit just dessert for the win. I really like Velvet, and I think she's going to have a huge future. This got like four times of the time that the women's match on SmackDown did. So while this wasn't great, hey, at least AEW lets their women actually work. The fact that the SmackDown match on the exact same night got two minutes, and this one probably got eight or nine or something like that, it just goes to show how bad the women's booking is on SmackDown in terms of time allotment on the show. And that goes back to a whole nother topic with Roman Reigns and the way SmackDown is booked that we will talk about on Tuesday's episode. Miro cut a taped promo and he this was how he started it. He said, I want to thank God for my power and a special shout out to my wife for being hot. I literally spit my water out. I was drinking during it. I spit it out of my mouth laughing because that is freaking hysterical. Uh, then he got serious and he told Evil Uno that challenging him for the TNT title was a mistake because you should only challenge Miro if you're sure you can survive. I know he's had other good moments in AEW, definitely in the ring. To me, this was easily his best promo in AEW so far. I loved it. It was actually my favorite thing top to bottom on the entire show. Maybe just because that first line popped me, but I just thought it was a very good promo. So good for Miro. He's starting to find himself now that this gamer bullshit's over. And I am very, very uh, positive and bullish on him going forward. And then we got the main event, Dustin Rhodes against Nick Camarado in a bull rope match. Believe it or not, this was the final match of the show. And yes, I know that this being the final match, it aired almost at midnight Eastern, but that doesn't really change the fact that it was booked as the main event. They fought into the crowd, Camarado bladed, and then he used the rope to pull Dustin in for a spear. He later put Dustin through a table outside. Back in the ring, Camarado kicked out of the final reckoning at one. Dustin put him into an exposed turnbuckle, hit him with the bull rope, and added a flying bulldog, hog-tying Camarado's legs for the win. I like the finish of the match, but this was just another completely forgettable match on a two-hour show that, candidly, I want to forget even happened the second this podcast ends. The question is whether AEW thought this would be a good show or if it saw the extremely low ratings from last week in this time slot and decided to pull some things back. Because holy shit, man, this was repetitive, boring at times. The wrestling was subpar, which is never the case for AEW. The direction and production were off. Just top to bottom, it was a bad episode. And there was almost nothing redeeming about it except for a couple of the things I was able to pull out to praise. While the day and time slot were off, as we mentioned, Let's not forget, last week's go-home show was Friday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, and it was very, very good. Now, of course, it had to be strong because they were building to a pay-per-view. However, all the stuff I generally like about AEW, namely fresh storytelling and top-tier wrestling, was absent this Friday night, and the biggest moment of the show with Andrade was a dud of a segment despite being an incredibly important signing. Anyone following me on Twitter especially Friday during the live shows, knows I was very disappointed in SmackDown also. And we will talk about that at length on our WWE show Tuesday. But somehow, Dynamite underdelivered even more than SmackDown did. I actually think for the first time in a long time, because Raw has been pitiful, this was the worst wrestling show of the four, Dynamite, SmackDown, NXT, and Raw in this given week. So Monday through Friday. And again, that almost never happens. Everyone's allowed to dud here and there, AEW included. But I'm going to be extremely curious 
to see how they go about next week's show. Because right now, I believe, I think all that's booked is two six-man tag team matches. One of them is really exciting. The other is the Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler. But if they add a couple more elements to that show, like a Miro and Evil Uno, if they do that for the TNT title, which is my expectation, if they add that and they add a couple more you know, decent matches, then all of a sudden, I think we have a really good show on our hands. But coming out of this show, man, I was really surprised at how little I enjoyed on this edition of AEW Dynamite. And for people who think I'm normally critical of AEW or more critical of AEW than WWE, first of all, bullshit, because if you ever listen to our WWE episodes and you know how I talk about Raw all the time and SmackDown on occasion, or at least individual storylines on SmackDown that I don't like, then you know I'm equally critical to both shows. But I think it may be tough for me to be as critical on WWE as AEW this particular week because of the way this show was. And SmackDown, you know, half of it was really good, but the other half was pretty pathetic as well. So again, we got a lot of wrestling podcasting coming up over the next week, and we're going to talk about all of it. But did it start out on a great note here? Or did this week end, I should say, on a great note with AEW Dynamite? It really didn't. And if anyone's praising this show, then I honestly don't know what product you were watching. This was this was a very disappointing episode of Dynamite, as I've said now probably a dozen times on this single podcast. But as far as what's ahead here in the Getting Over Wrestling universe, we will be back on Tuesday with our normal WWE show. Then on Wednesday, after NXT is over, we will do a special solo show, NXT TakeOver In Your House Ultimate Preview. We will be back early in the weekend once again for our AEW recap. And then Sunday night, once NXT TakeOver In Your House goes off the air, we will have instant analysis of that special event. So a four-episode week coming your way here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It has been a wild couple weeks in the world of professional wrestling. Thank you all so much for giving me your ear holes, allowing me to break down my thoughts on the product with certainly vintage Chris Vanini when he joins me for the WWE shows as well. I greatly appreciate it. As for today, I will bid you adieu. Just a couple of reminders. Do not forget what this show is all about. Again, that means five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. And also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That's it. I will see you later. That means the Silver King is leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.